Thank you, Grace, and thank you all for singing. We want to uh, look to the Lord in his word at this time. We're continuing in the, go- in the Gospel of John and in, in that upper room discourse. And I'm constantly struck, these are our Lord's time of teaching, what's on his heart as he's ready to leave his disciples. And today we'll see two themes that we've already addressed, <clears throat> but Jesus comes back to them and comes back to them. The coming uh, suffering and persecution of his, belie- of his followers and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Now, we could easily say, well, he's already said that, so we can pass over this and not pay attention to it. Or we could say, you know, if the Lord keeps talking about this, this must be what's important to him. And may we have a heart to hear as we open his word and take it to heart. The passage before us today is uh, John chapter 15 verses 26 through chapter 16 verse 4. Let me read this to you and I encourage you to to follow along in your own Bible. But when the helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. And you will also bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. These things I have spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. They will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that that he offers God service. And these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things I have told you that when the time comes, you remember that I told you of them. And these things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. In the previous verses, the Lord has spoken of the hatred and opposition that the followers of Christ will experience in the world. Verse 25 brought that up. But this happened that the word might be fulfilled, which is written in their law. They hated me without cause. In other words, there will be a hatred, and Jesus said the reason they can, they'll hate us is because they don't know the Father. And that's really expressing their opposition to the Father when they are opposed to and hating God's people. And so we, we read that the world may reject and oppose the disciples, but the disciples will not be alone. And, and again, our Lord is, I think, trying to equip them. Maybe some of you have have raised children, and for the first time in six years, you're going to actually go out on a date. And you you sit down with your child and say, "Uh, we're going out. Oh, no, what's going to happen to us? Oh, you know that wonderful friend, love, whatever? They're going to come and stay with you. Don't worry, we're not going uh, to abandon you. And if everything turns out okay, we may come back. No, uh, you don't say things like that. But you want to say, you'll be fine. You're going to have fun. Um, You're going to do this and this. It's going to be great. You're trying to comfort and say, yes, we're leaving, but we've made provision for you. Um, And so it kind of reminds me when, when Barb left and, and, and she want, she made, wanted me to know she'd made provision. Walmart has this great app. You can go on and buy all the stuff and you can drive up and it'll be delivered to your car. She'd made provision for me. (laughs) Jesus wants them to know, I'm leaving, but you're not forsaken. And and so that's something that's vital. And so he, he speaks again when the helper comes whom I shall send to you from the Father, and the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. So again, he's emphasizing the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Notice he calls him, again, my translation here has uh, helper. Uh, Some of yours might have advocate. This is the Greek word parakletos, or paraclete. Sometimes you'll even hear people talk about the Holy Spirit as the paraclete. That's just a Greek word, and I've mentioned before. The word kletos has the idea of calling. Para has the idea of alongside of. And so he's called a helper in that he's one who comes alongside of you. I always imagine just that 
putting the arm around the shoulder. He's there. He's not just present. He's alongside. And again, this was often used in, in court cases. Your attorney was your advocate, your parakletos. He stood by your side through the whole process. So he's saying, I am sending to you the Holy Spirit who will be your, your helper, your advocate, your friend, your companion, your encourager. You know, sometimes we put a, an arm around someone's shoulder to comfort them when they're weak. Sometimes we put an arm around the shoulder because I want you to listen. You need to straighten up. <laughs> but that's, he does all those ministries and more. He is the helper. And, and notice we see in this verse the Trinity. I will send him to you and the Father uh, he, I will send him from the Father. And, and, and he mentions that the Holy Spirit is sent by Jesus, proceeds from the Father. And I see those terms as, uh, in some ways, uh, interchangeable. And by the way, this is, I, I won't get into the deep weeds here, but um, one of the dividing points between Eastern Orthodox churches, Russian, Greek, whatever Orthodox churches, and the Western churches, Roman Catholic and Protestant, uh, this verse addresses the dividing point. And a little after 1000 AD, there was a big split west from east over the question, partly, um, does, does the Holy Spirit uh, come from the Father only or from the Father and the Son? And, and, and that became a dividing point. And this verse seems to address that. Jesus said, I'm sending him from the Father. He proceeds from the Father looks to me like he's saying it comes from the Father and the Son. That's the Western view. The Eastern Orthodox said, no, you can't say that. He only proceeds from the Father, not the Son. I knew that was what you wanted to learn when you came here today. I, I, I want to hear this controversy addressed. <clears throat> I've just mentioned it. Now we move on. But, but notice further, he's already spoken of Jesus as the helper. Back in chapter 14, verses 15 to 18, he said, If you love me, keep my commandments. I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. That's that new ministry that comes at Pentecost. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. In the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> so he's, he's assuring, here comes this helper. And, and, and here's what I said previously about that. Jesus is the truth. Remember that? I am the way, the truth, and life. But notice we're told here, the, the helper who's coming is the spirit of truth. And he was called the spirit of truth back in John chapter 14. He's this other helper. He's the spirit of truth. Twice now, Jesus has referred to the Holy Spirit as the spirit of truth. That's because truth is a vital part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. That ministry was what he promised to the apostles. He's going he's to help you remember what I taught you. Um, so that's, that's a specific promise to the apostles. That's not saying that you know, the Holy Spirit necessarily helps us remember, but that was part of the inspiring of the scriptures. We might wonder how, you know, a couple decades later, 10 years later, as they're remembering what Jesus taught them, how did they get every word right? Because the Holy Spirit brought to mind what Jesus said and, and taught them more what it meant. So he's the spirit of truth. He's the one who guided the apostles, and the, who wrote the New Testament, he's the one who guided them so that every word was, was God-breathed. But he, he's, not, he's the Holy Spirit, speaking of his character and holiness. And he's the spirit of truth. He was the one who revealed truth to the authors of Scripture. He is the divine author of Scripture. And the Scripture is true. John, Jesus will talk about that later on. He'll, he'll, he'll speak of God's word. and He said, thy word is truth. Notice what we've been saying. 
it's just as far as we've gotten in John chapter, in the upper room discourse. In chapter 14, Jesus said, I am the truth. In John chapter uh, 14 and 15, Jesus is saying, the Holy Spirit is the, the spirit of truth. John chapter 17, God's word is the word of truth. It's truth. And so he's, he's emphasizing Jesus, as, as he's getting ready to leave, he keeps hammering this theme of truth. Because that's going to be a vital part of what these apostles will do. They're going to give us God's truth. As they gave us the New Testament. And they're going to be preaching God's truth as they go out into the world. So Jesus is once again referring, second time now, just in this upper room, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. The one who gives revealing of truth to the apostles, gave understanding to the truth to the apostles, and, and the Holy Spirit's ministry to us as the, the, whole, as the spirit of truth, is he helps us understand the truth. Now, I, I, I suspect that most of you have experienced what I experienced. When I was uh, being evangelized, when people were sharing Christ with me, and, and I was starting to begin to believe that maybe God existed and that Jesus was his son. I remember, and I've mentioned this before, I, I picked up a Bible that was in our house. And it's one of those things, you, you're afraid to touch it because it starts crumbling in your hands. It's, it, it was not a much-used Bible, <laughs> You could say it's beloved in that it was in the family, but, and I somehow, I don't know where I picked this up, but I understood that Jesus was talked about in the New Testament. So I went over to Matthew, and how I got through the genealogy, I'm not exactly sure, but eventually I found myself in the Sermon on the Mount, and I started reading that, and I went to these guys who had been evangelizing me and said, I don't get it. If that's Christianity, it's impossible. And again, I've told you before how frustrated I am still with them. The best they could say to me was, keep reading. I was still lost. My eyes were still blind. I didn't have the Holy Spirit to teach me the truth. And then I can remember months later, I came to Christ. And then I can remember just, uh, I, I had one of those little Gideon Testaments. The Gideons handed out New Testaments um, on the college campus like they do here. And that's why it was, it's, it's been always a joy with me. I've loved to be a part of that because that's where I got my Gideon Testament. But I remember getting that Testament and, and just sitting in the hallway there and you know, waiting for class to, you know, the previous class to empty out and, I could, and reading. And it was just every verse, it was like I saw how it all fit together. It all made so much sense. It was coming alive. The same passages that I'd read before and it was like I was, I was reading Swahili, now it was, it was all pulling together and making sense. The light was on because the spirit of truth now dwelt within me. He wasn't revealing truth to me, but he was explaining and helping me to see the truth. That's part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Over in 1 John, John will say, I don't need to instruct you. You have the anointing of the Holy, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells within every believer. And so as you open your Bible to, to read your own Bible at home, <clears throat> one of the things you're asking is, Lord, help me to understand. Open my eyes to, and to, that I might see and understand your word. And that's, that's a ministry he delights to do. So, he's this, so, so as Jesus is getting ready to leave, he's, he's twice now told them, I'm sending a helper. He's the spirit of truth. Clue. Truth is vital for the continuing ministry. He's going to give you the truth to write down. And he's going to help you understand the truth. And that Holy Spirit is going to go from generation to generation, working in the heart of believers. Again, I hope as I'm describing this, you can think in your own life of times when it was really evident. God's light was just shining on the word and, and, the, and, the, and the truths were coming off. <clears throat> Truth is, vi is essential to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. 
Remember over in chapter 6 of the book of Ephesians, we're told about the armor of God. Put on the whole armor of God because we're in spiritual warfare. What does he say in verse 6, 17 of chapter 6 of Ephesians? Ephesians six seventeen, <clears throat> Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. God the Holy Spirit takes up God's Word. And that's his instrument. That's his, the tool he uses. That's the sword of battle where he defeats error. And so, by the way, that tells us something. If the spirit of truth fights spiritual warfare with the Bible, with truth, what's he fighting against? Error, deception. And so this is a, 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 an encouragement. We're going out into a world filled with, with not just the deception of people, but spiritual deception. But God, the Holy Spirit, shines a light in our heart. God's word shines a light on our path. And God, the Holy Spirit, takes the word of God and uses it to protect us and defeat error. And so Jesus, as he's leaving, he keeps coming back. He calls him the Holy, this, this helper who is the spirit of truth. Who is the spirit of truth. <clears throat> Verse 26, the Lord continues, when, when the helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, says, he will testify of me. Well, there's another vital point to notice. The, whole, the spirit of truth who reveals and interprets truth. What's the center of his message? Christ. What's the center of the gospel? Christ. So the apostle Paul, guided and enabled by the Holy Spirit, he says, we preach Christ and him crucified. That's not denying the resurrection. He's big on resurrection. But the point is, the cross is central to his ministry. You talk to sometimes an unbeliever, and they'll say, uh, you know, well, I, I respect Jesus. But, you know, some of that stuff, you know, this, this born-again stuff, I'm not into that. You remember who gave us the phrase born again? Jesus. No, I, I like the Sermon on the Mount. You almost want to say, have you read it? <laughs> what does he mean, blessed are the poor in spirit? That's not the person whose uh, paycheck is gone before the month is gone. Poor in spirit's the brokenness of someone who sees their own sin before a holy God. Well, I won't, <laughs> I won't start unfolding the Sermon on the Mount, but here's the point. Jesus said, central to the truth, it's, it's I am the message. I am the way, the truth, the life. And when the spirit of truth comes, he's going to talk about me, Christ. That gives us a clue, doesn't it? When, when we're talking about the gospel, when we're pointing people to salvation, what's the issue? Christ. Do you know him as Savior? And again, Lots of religions out there realize they have to talk about Jesus and they'll put him somewhere in the system. Islam calls him a prophet. And others will say maybe nice things about Jesus. But the question you want to ask them is, who is? When you talk about Jesus, who are you talking about? What, tell me who he is. Is he God who came in the flesh, who lived among us, who died on the cross, rose from the dead? Is that the Jesus you're talking about? That's the dividing line. But the spirit of truth will speak of Christ. And I think the next verse helps us. In, in, in putting that all together, in verse 27, he says, You will bear witness, and so the spirit will speak of me, and you will bear witness, because you've been with me from the beginning. Now, <clears throat> my translation 
is, um, uh, uh, let me, can I make a suggestion about it? If they ever call me up, we're going to revise in the New King James. Drake, what did you have in mind? Here's where it gets a little confusing. In, in verse 26, speaks of the Holy Spirit. He will testify of me. In verse 27, you will also bear witness. It's the same verb. Testify, bear witness. Can I throw a little Greek at you? It's martyreo. You might hear in that the word martyr. A martyr is a witness. But when we think of martyr, we think of someone who suffered and especially died for the faith, don't we? That's the point. So many of God's faithful witnesses suffered. That's why we add the word martyr. We, 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 we almost replace it with the idea of someone who died for the faith. When really a martyr is someone who witnessed to the faith. And so what Jesus is saying is the Holy Spirit will witness of Christ and you also will bear witness. And so what that's suggesting here is the Holy Spirit and the disciples bear witness together. And the Holy Spirit, will, he, will, he will bear witness in the heart of the believer. The Holy Spirit will also bear witness with the believer. And this is a wonderful, wonderful truth. And a vital truth. When we are giving testimony to Christ, when we are witnessing of Christ, when we're telling of Christ and the gospel, it's not simply an an intellectual argument. Can I use the, the laws of logic to convince you it's true? It's a spiritual transaction. And that's why it's, it's, we, call it, we speak of the heart and of faith. And the reality is, I, may, I might be able to change your mind. I can't change your heart. But the Holy Spirit can. And so he's witnessing and I'm witnessing. And so when I'm sharing Christ... Uh, all along, I'm kind of double-minded. <laughs> I'm talking to them, but I'm also talking to God. Lord, guide my words and open their heart, open their eyes. <clears throat> I so remember we would, when we would go out and do some campus evangelism, uh, be, we would we'd kind of scope out and try and see someone that obvious, wasn't too obviously, you know, you, you hate it. You could tell someone's, they've got a final exam in 20 minutes. That's not the time to share the gospel. Um, but, but no, so we'd look and see someone kind of calmly maybe eating their sandwich or something. And we'd say, okay, let's go talk to him. First thing we'd do is let's pray. Now, we, I, I learned that it probably wasn't the best thing if we, we didn't get down on our knees and pray. And matter of fact, I, I learned it's, it's okay to even pray with your eyes open. So we would pray with our eyes open for that fellow and God would guide us. And, then we'd, and God would move in his heart and they would go and share Christ. It was a, t- it was a team effort. Matter of fact, we did it in twos. One talked, one prayed. But we did it in threes. One talked, one prayed, and the Holy Spirit was also testifying. And see, that's what he's telling us is, is when we share Christ, don't think that it's on you to change the heart. You can't. I can't. It's a spiritual transaction. It's the spirit of truth who has to bring that truth into that heart, who has to shine light into the heart. In in 2 Corinthians 4, uh, Paul talks about God just as he spoke light into darkness at creation. That's what happens when we come to faith. God says, let there be light. And there's light. So, but God sends that light. What's the instrument, the tool, the weapon the Holy Spirit uses? God's word. And so as we are sharing God's word, and and what is that focusing on? We preach Christ and him crucified. So so as we're sharing Christ through his word, with his word, God, the Holy Spirit, is taking that word to the heart. It's a spiritual transaction. You may hear me when I pray for the ministry of the word here and abroad. 
that, that, that God will give ready, open hearts to those who hear. I pray that for you and for me before I ever get up here on a Sunday morning. But as you are talking to a neighbor, a family member, a co-worker, whoever it might be, a, the person who just brought the plate of food to your table, pray that God the Holy Spirit would work. And that doesn't have to be a 20-minute prayer. It can be a quick one. Maybe one word prayer, help. <laughs> you know, Lord, guide my words, open their heart. And, and, and teachers, as you're teaching in Sunday school and in other capacities, same thing. You can have the greatest lesson in the world, but if God the Holy Spirit is not bringing it to fruition, there's no fruit. And you can sometimes have the worst lesson in the world or the worst sermon in the world, and I can testify to that. And yet God, the Holy Spirit, can still bring it to light. I have left this pulpit thinking, I don't think I've dropped a bigger bomb. That thing, what a, what a loser. And it's always on that Sunday, someone comes up and says, you would not believe what God brought to my heart through that message. Really? I mean, this message this week? <laughs> I remember so much a friend was evangelizing in the dormitory in college and he, he went in and shared Christ with someone you know, and, and, and he walked out of the thing. I could never confuse the gospel more than, and, and sure enough, the guy trusted Christ. And what that told my friend was, it's not you. It's not you. God has convinced me of that in my own life. It's not me. It's not me. Parents, let me apply that to you as well. And those who have the noble calling of being grandparents, it's not you. We're called to be a testifier to our children and grandchildren. Oh, but don't ever let up on praying for them. That God would move in their hearts. Because it's a spiritual transaction. But again, God, the Holy Spirit, he's got a tool, he's got a weapon. It's the word coming from us and others. And that's another way parents and grandparents can pray. Um, while they're in your home and while they're far away, God, bring others into their life to, to bring them to faith and to encourage them into faith. May they be an encourager. <clears throat> so, so we see here the Holy Spirit was busily at work in, in the lives of the apostles, and that was the promise of Christ. I'm leaving you, but not alone. Another helper, like, like me. The spirit of truth. That'll be his focus. As he points to Christ. He'll testify of Christ. And he will be the, the power of your testimony for Christ. Well, from there he goes on to the reality of persecution. Oh, I, what was I thinking? My outline, I could have really, I just realized I blew it. I could have had, I don't know how it, I, I, I could have gone from the paraclete to persecution. Okay, I have to think about the third point. See, now the Holy Spirit's helping. No. Um, in verses 1 to 3, let me read them and then we'll look at verse 1. These things I've spoken to you, that you should not be made to stumble. They will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think he offers God service. And these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. And so he says, I, I'm telling you in advance so that you not be made to stumble. The, the Lord comes back to this theme of coming hardship. See, for three years they've been with him. And, and frankly, they haven't seen a lot of that. They've seen Christ rejected, but it hasn't been so much pointed to them. Now it's all on them because Christ will not be present with them. And frankly, I think he's been shielding them. But now he's gone. And so the times are going to get hard. And have you ever noticed that sometimes it's easier to face hardship when it, you know it's coming? 
maybe you've gone to the doctor and they're going to, about to give you an injection. And I'm not sure if it's really a matter of integrity, but they say, you're going to feel a little pinch. And you're saying, a pinch? I don't know if anyone's ever pinched you. No. Uh, but, or sometimes I've been surprised that the doctor will say, now this, you're going to feel some pinch. Or, and I'm thinking, that was nothing. Um, but the point is, what they know it's helpful if they tell you in advance, don't worry. This is, this is what it's going to do. It's going to hurt. A lot of times, remember, if you're going to have a procedure and maybe you're going to have a recovery time, they're going to say you're going to hurt for a couple of days. And I remember I had a surgery and the doctor said, and he was a believer, he said it's kind of a biblical concept, God's design, the third day is the, is the hardest. Um, and so he was telling me that up front. I was, don't panic, it's going to get worse. But if you live, it'll get better. <clears throat> and so the Lord is saying, remember, I've spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. And so he's trying to help them understand that, that persecution and, and, and frankly, suffering, it can surprise us and stumble us. That word stumble, by the way, is um, we get our word scandal from it. It's the word scandalizo, a scandal, but, but a scandal in biblical language, in the language of the New Testament, um, was a bait stick. When you, when you put up a trap for an animal, you'd put a piece of meat on a stick so when they grabbed the meat, it triggered it, and they got caught. And most of you don't do that unless you set out mouse traps. You ever done that? And then you have to you go on YouTube and find out what's the most effective bait. Is it cheese? Is it Swiss? Is it peanut butter? Whatever. You know, the, the, the debates are out there. But you get it all set. And frankly, I, I would rather, gentlemen, tell your wife to hold that thing. So, no. But, you know, you set it, and you trigger it just right, and then and, and, because... And, you want something, you got to be careful because it's sensitive. You touch it and um, the trap closes. So the stumbling is the trigger the trap. I don't want you to trigger a trap when you, be, when you encounter suffering, persecution. I don't want it to surprise you and catch you unawares. Um, it's coming. But if it catches you unawares, it might rattle you. And, and I, I'll be honest with you. I think this is a struggle in our day and in our culture. So we was, I think we said we were talking on Wednesday night as the guys were together. And, and just one of, the, you know, one of the sad realities of previous generations is you, know, you had a lot of kids because most of them wouldn't survive to adulthood. I read biographies of the ancient, of those days, not, that, not ancient days, but pre-modern medicine, pre-antibiotics. You often, you'd read, well, you know, how they would make a point in the biography of saying that only so many children reached adulthood. In our day, you know, we, we still, that's such a surprise to us, which was common then. Uh, illness and death was less of a surprise back then because it was so common and so frequent. Pain was much more normal than it is for us. So the point is, in our day, we have so much technology, so much modern ability, we can avoid a lot of suffering. You know, we live in a time of prosperity. We talk about poor people. <clears throat> but what we call poverty is, is, would have been lavish lifestyle a couple of centuries ago. You know, we talk about poverty because the, um, we only, we're down to two loaves of bread in the house as opposed to the day laborer of the ancient world, of the days of the New Testament, they made enough money each day to buy the food for that day. That's unheard of for us. And so, so we're surprised by financial stress. We're surprised by physical pain and disease. And in the West, we're surprised by persecution. 
I think I've mentioned before, our picture often in our culture of persecution is if someone unfriends you. That's not what our brothers and sisters in histories have experienced. And not what our brothers and sisters in, in many parts of the, of the world today are experiencing. And so what Jesus is saying is, I'm telling you this in advance so you're not surprised. <clears throat> and so I'm telling us because we have lived a somewhat pro protected environment here. But Jesus said, don't be surprised. Because I can see, and, and we're seeing rumblings of a change. <clears throat> don't be surprised by that. In this fallen world, that's the norm. And so I don't, Jesus said, I don't want you to, to be surprised by this. Imagine you're a, a football coach and you've got a new student coming from Europe. And the first thing you have to explain is they call football something that's not football. It's knocking, a, you know, it's, it's playing with a ball with their foot. I wonder where they got that name. But, but we call you know American football and, and say we're, we're going to play. And, he's, and, and, he, and he comes to your team and he says, okay, we're going to start first practice. We're just going to quickly have a quick little game just to get a feel for it. Uh, like we normally play like we're going to play. And you say, and, and say so the first play, this guy from Europe, and he, you know, you say, we're going to hand you the ball, and you're going to run. See that post down there? You, you want to run toward that. Great. They hike the ball. It's handed off to him. He starts running. Next thing you know, four of his best friends are hitting him with all their might and dropping, dropping, driving him into the dirt. He doesn't know whether to cry, scream. What was that all about? Oh, I forgot to tell you. See, I think so. That's that same shock is what we seem to experience when we encounter suffering. Wouldn't it have been better to say, You're going to run, but I want you to understand, guys four times your size are going to jump all over you to keep you from reaching that post? Got it? That would help, wouldn't it? And so Jesus is saying, I don't want you trapped, I don't want you hitting the the, the lever, feeling the pain and wondering where did that come? Because so often in our faulty thinking, if I'm having problems, I must be out of God's will. I wouldn't be sick. I wouldn't be poor. I wouldn't be hurting if, if, if I were obeying God. That's a false gospel that's out there. Jesus is saying, if you're faithful to me, you will suffer and so my brothers and sisters just a reminder to us expect pain expect rejection don't be surprised or disappointed is it okay to shed a couple of tears didn't Jesus at times when Jesus looked out at Jerusalem, didn't he weep? So it's not wrong to be sad, to feel the pain. But don't say it's wrong to feel the pain. Verse 2, he goes on, they'll put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that they, he offers God service. And all these things they'll do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. So don't be surprised. Here's what they're going to do. They'll put you out of the synagogue. Uh, the Greek here is literally, they'll make you unsynagogued. Uh, they'll make you uh, excommunicated. So, so it's the same idea, but it's just, it's like you're going to have this label of someone who's been kicked out of the synagogue. <clears throat> we don't think of that. We don't get the feeling for that. Uh, you know, people today in America, we change churches for, for on a, on a, at the drop of a hat, um, the idea of leaving a church or whatever is not surprising. To be kicked out of the synagogue, to be disfellowshipped, meant you were completely isolated from your community. It was not uncommon if a they would do that for an apostate, like someone who believed Jesus is God. They would kick you out of the synagogue. And because of that, your family would hold a funeral for you. 
And they would say, we no longer have that son or daughter. They died. They would not have, you've lost your family. You've lost your community. Probably lost your job. If you had a little stall, if you sold candles in the, in the shop, in the, uh, they, would have, they wouldn't buy from you because you're an apostate. Financially, socially, you'd be completely isolated. They're going to kick you out of the synagogues. <clears throat> and then it goes on to say more than that. They're going to think they're offering God a sacred service when they kill Christians. Think of the example of Saul. He thought he was doing God a favor when he hunted down Christians. He thought it was sacred service. It was his literally offering to God. It was, it was like a off, giving an offering to God, a sacrifice to God. He did it in God's name. What an irony. Killing God's followers in God's name. But if I think of it today... When I think of, you know, can you tell that this terrorism thing has just really gra- grabbed my heart? I think of Hamas. Have you, if you've ever seen a video or, or heard anything of when they set off a bomb or anything like that, uh, so often the Muslim terrorist, what does he say? Allahu Akbar. They're, they're doing it as an act of worship. Allahu Akbar is, means God is great. Press the button. Kill the infidel. They think, they think they're offering God's service. By the way, I, I was struck by something. I don't know if you noticed it, but I, it took me a while to see this. Jesus has constantly talked about the Father, the Father, the Helper, the Spirit of Truth. Notice he doesn't say they think they're doing, offering the Father service, but God. They're not offering the Father anything. They don't know the Father. That's the point. But, but that's, you will find that often the greatest persecution comes from people persecuting in the name of God. Protestants, those who believed and taught the gospel, were hunted down and executed for preaching Christ. You can think of the Inquisition. You can think of the reign of Bloody Mary, 300 uh, murdered for the gospel under Queen Mary. And we could go from our own country, the people who came here and brought us Thanksgiving. Why did they come here? Why did they leave everything they had to come to this foreign land that they knew nothing about? Religious persecution. For the sake of God, hunting them down. Why did John Bunyan, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, spend 12 years in prison? Because he preached the gospel. But they thought they were doing God's service. <clears throat> so don't be surprised that the greatest opposition we will have will be religious. And verse 3 explains further, these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. They will do it for God, but they don't know him. They don't know the true God. And that's the point. It's not like they're really serving the true God because they're not. Or they would, they, would, they would hug you as a brother. They wouldn't hunt you as an enemy. They don't know the true God, and that's the point. They are lost, and they see things in that perspective. <clears throat> and then he gives them these final words of comfort. In verse 4, But these things I have told you, that when the time comes... You may remember that I told you of them. And these things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. So again, he's saying, when it happens, don't be surprised. Remember, I told you it was coming. Now again, that's true of persecution. When the persecution comes, remember Jesus said it was coming. When, when the pain of life comes, we... Remember that I said we live in a fallen world. Pain, suffering, sickness, and death are part of this world. Don't be surprised. But he's saying don't be surprised by the persecution. Remember, because that's one of our things. Did God forget me? 
Does God know about this? Don't you remember? He told you it was coming. And so Jesus is trying every, to, to give them every bit in the arsenal. You won't be alone. God the Holy Spirit will be with you. But do recognize oppositions come. But it's not coming from God. It's coming from those who don't know God. Oh yeah, they'll say they're doing it, serving God, but they don't know him. Or they wouldn't treat you this way. Don't be surprised. Be prepared. So how do we prepare for persecution? This is where I start. Uh, I've got some products here to sell you for stockpiling your pants. No, <clears throat> not that approach. Do stockpile. Stockpile your faith by making sure you, your children, your grandchildren are grounded in the faith and ready and equipped. Stockpile God's word. If they took away God's word today, they rounded up every Bible, and they do that sometimes. How much Bible would you have left? For God so... How's that start go again? Loved? How much Bible would you have left? I've read again and again of believers that will find other believers in prison. And they start saying, okay, let's start writing a Bible. Write, tell me all the verses you know. Let's put them together. I was so struck when I heard the guy who in Vietnam. He was uh, uh, one of the, uh, worked for the Air Force. He was one of the ones who was supposed to rescue those who were downed. They got the pilot out safely, but he was left behind, captured by the Viet Cong. And, and, and nothing was, he had nothing in this little hut. So what did he do? He started going back to what he knew. He didn't even know what day it was, so he randomly said, okay, today's Sunday. What's my family doing? Okay, they're getting ready. They're putting on their clothes. Okay, so he would kind of maybe fix up his shoes a little bit. Uh, they're going to church. He probably tried not to think about arguing in the car. <laughs> they're singing songs, so he would start singing the songs he remembered from church. They're having a sermon, and so he would start remembering every verse he learned. He had his Bible with him, Ready stockpile be a prepper spiritually don't be surprised i have a quote here from mr spurgeon the worldling blesses god while he gives him plenty but the christian blesses him when he smites him he believes him to be too wise to err and too good to be unkind he trusts him where he cannot trace him looks up to him in the darkest hour and believes that all is well that's Jesus is calling us to that kind of a mindset. When the suffering comes, ah, Jesus was right. Of course I knew he was right. Okay, Lord. And just as he predicted it, he promised. Spirit of truth, help me. Be with me. While Jesus was with them, he protected them. These things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. Remember when they came to arrest him in the garden? He said, who would you come for? Jesus of Nazareth. I'm Jesus of Nazareth. Let these go. And he even fulfilled scripture. The shepherd taken, the sheep scattered. But he says, when I'm gone, the hard times are coming. Get ready. Now that he's leaving, they need to be ready. Because the storm is coming. The storm is coming. How will we respond? I was struck by this quote from John Chrysostom. That's, that's not his real name, Chrysostom. That means golden mouth. He was such a great preacher, they called him golden mouth. He was brought before the Roman emperor who threatened him with banishment if he remained a Christian. Chrysostom said, you cannot banish me for this world is my father's house. But I will slay you, replied the emperor. No, you cannot. For my life is hid with Christ and God. I will take away your treasures, the emperor said. No, you cannot. My treasure is in heaven. My heart is there. The emperor replied, but I will drag you away from man and you will have no friend left. No, you cannot. For I have a friend in heaven from which you cannot separate me. I defy you. For is nothing, there is nothing you can do 
to hurt me. Because he was realizing there's a different hurt than the physical. Elizabeth Elliot had some words for us. Joy is not the absence of suffering, but the presence of God. Brothers and sisters, if Jesus is right, and I say that with a smile, of course he is, it's coming. We have been spared much, but it's coming, and it may be in our time or the next generation's time. And we have brothers and sisters right now. It is well nigh. It is all, they are in it. How we need to pray for them. Do what we can to support them. And how we need to start stockpiling. God's truth. God's word. Maturity in Christ. If you have yet to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, none of these things I've said in a sense apply to you, except maybe they awaken you to the fact that Jesus says, if you're not his follower, you do not know God. You have no relationship with the true God. And I would invite you, I would urge you, flee to Christ. That's the gospel message. Christ, who points to your sin and says, I offer you forgiveness. He died on the cross for sin. And he calls you to turn from your sin to him, the Savior. If you have yet to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, may you even today do so. May God the Holy Spirit enlighten your eyes to see Christ as Savior. For those of us who know him, hold tight to him. Father, thank you for this Word of Jesus Christ. I pray for our brothers and sisters where the furnace is hot and real. And Father, I pray for us as the temperature's rising. Lord God, may we be ready. Give us a hunger to be ready. I pray it in Jesus' name.